0: about the local New Testament church, and so that's why we began in Timothy, and we're going to look at 2 Timothy, we're going to look at Titus, but we're just talking some about some foundational truths that we need to have. And the local New Testament church is a marvelous institution, and God established the local church. And of course, it's founded upon Jesus Christ. A lot of people misunderstand that. There are a lot of religions that believe that it was founded on Peter, and yet there's no evidence of that in the Scriptures. We see very clear evidence that it was founded on Jesus Christ. And in these days, Paul and Timothy, they would have members from different backgrounds as we do today. Um, I can share with you I know uh, Brother Mike Tangeman lives in that area down there, but where we come from there 's a whole myriad of people from professionals out of d c to uh, people who are in agricultural business to uh, folks that have blue collar jobs to all kinds of things. and so when you have people come into the church there 's all kinds of folks in our midst, different social statuses, different people. Uh, from all walks of life, and and in addition to that, sometimes you have folks who work for one another. And so you'll have situations where uh, uh, the uh, person in the church may work for an individual, but when they come to church, things can get reversed a little bit, and that person then becomes a leader in the local church. So the then uh, worker or the employee of this individual Now, actually, say as a deacon or a leader in the local church, and the person who owns the business or uh, is their boss or their supervisor at work may not hold a position in the local church. And so, we see all these backgrounds as we do today, and the Bible teaches us this that the Lord is no respecter of persons. And so, one of the things we have to realize no matter who walks through that door, God, one, has allowed them to walk through the door. (laughs) Number two, we have to reach out to them. And by the way, We're all on the same team. How many of you know that? We're all on the same team together. And no matter who walks through that door, what they look like, what their social background is, or the color of their skin, makes no matter when they walk through that door. One, God has allowed them to come in. Number two, we have a responsibility to reach out to that person. And so, as we come into the church family, the Bible teaches us this that we're brothers and sisters, are we not? And, and if you're saved, we are. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, the Bible is teaching us some things. And so, when you arrive at the house of God, regardless of how the world perceives social status or position or power or money or wealth or whatever your standing is in the world, we're on equal standing with God in this room. <laughs> we're all the same, we're not any different. And, and the reality is, is that Paul and Timothy were experiencing some problems in this church, and Paul was writing to Timothy to try to encourage him to help him with this a little bit. The teaching here, we work with all people, teach them the truth, and avoid being high-minded in the house of God because of monetary gain or social status or whatever their position is. There's nothing in the house of God that lends itself to that kind of a spirit. And so this then is the wholesome words we're told to speak to one another. And all that we do as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have all things in common, and we have one thing that's most important. We have the Lord Jesus Christ in common. And that should cause us to draw close to one another as a result of that. So the challenge as we look at the Word of God, are you abiding by the wholesome words of the Scripture in your spirit toward others? And so wholesome words are the base teaching that allows the church body to function. It's what brings unity to a body of believers. And so as we look at this, to remain in that unity of the faith, we're given some conditions and, and uh, as members uh, to follow in the local New Testament church. One of the things that the Bible teaches us is to meet on equal terms, meet on equal terms. And so if you look at verse 1, let as many, as, uh, many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters, Worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed, and that they have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. And he said, These things teach and exhort. In other words, encourage it. Not only teach it, but encourage others to do the same. And this is a good lesson regarding the house of God in that someone will perhaps be your boss at work, but Uh, now you have a position of leadership. In this day, there were some situations where you had uh, slaves and slave owners uh, in some situations, and uh, what was happening is is some of these people now had a newfound liberty in Christ Jesus, and they might even be in the same place. (laughs) And so God is letting them know, listen, you're in this local church together. You need to learn how to work together. And what we have to do is, regardless of our background or what our abilities are, we need to learn to work with one another. The amazing thing about the house of God is there's very little paid staff. There's a lot of volunteers. And so when you're working with volunteers, it's difficult at times because you're dealing with a lot of different personalities. When I worked for a company called Lansdowne, and I worked for the primary company, Benchmark, I had employees, I had 30 employees under me, and I said, do this, and they did that. Do you know why? They got paid to do that. And if they didn't do that, I had the ability to do something about it. I wrote them up, and the third time I wrote them up, I could let them go. And so you either fulfilled your duties or you didn't. Now, in the house of God, you have volunteers, and you still have those personalities. But what we have to do is come and meet on equal terms. Do you know what makes the level playing field? It's if we're all walking in the spirit or walking on the same playing field. But if one come in the flesh and one come in the spirit, a lot of times it can create conflict. And so we have to be very conscientious of that in working with one another in the local church. When they come together in God's house, they're equals, but the leader now has uh, this leadership responsibility. And at times, on the job, your boss is telling you what to do, and you may come to the local church, and now they may be in a position of having to share with you some different things. And it could be about your attitude, about your spirit, about your service to God. They may be coming to you about it, and the roles get reversed, and here's what could happen. You go back to work the next day, and he can get on you about it. Now, I ran into that situation. I, I was actually an employee of Allstate Insurance Company, and I worked for John Bennett. John Bennett was my boss. He owned that piece of business, and I worked for John. And I went to work for John every day. But when I went to the church, pastor had put me in a position of leadership, and now I had the oversight of all the Sunday school teachers, and John was one of my, what? Sunday school teachers. And it was awkward at times, <laughs> And, and you know, sharing with John or talking with John or going over things with John, it could become awkward at times. But the fact is, as now the roles were kind of reversed, and I'm telling John what I want him to do, rather than John telling me what to do, and it makes a difference. But here's the thing: There should be no difference. We should not treat each other any different at work uh, than we do in the uh, house of God. We should have that kind of spirit about us. And so this is what's taking place. The life of a Christian is that God puts us on equal standing. Yet there are those who God has placed in authority, and regardless of their occupation in life, they're a leader now in the house of God. So when Christians behave otherwise, the Bible says that it can, again, uh, cause some problems. It can hinder the effectiveness of God's word. It can even bring forth blasphemy it says in verse 1 he says you do this and you treat you handle this in this way that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed the reason we behave the way that we do in the house of God and outside the house of God is so that we don't bring shame to the name of God that we don't bring shame and negativity to the teachings of God's word, that they can actually see that in our lives. Now, we shouldn't take this lightly. Blaspheme, do not cause others, especially the unsaved, to speak negatively about God's house, his words, and the actions of the people in that house of God. We should be very careful when we walk outside of this door that our attitude, our spirit, our hearts ought to be that we want to reach our community, not cause our community to despise us. That when we walk outside of here, they see a very different person than what they are perceived to be in the house of God. And so there needs to be that walk, that consistency. And to avoid having the teachings of God being blasphemed, we're not to treat each other uh, like strangers. We're to treat each other like brothers and sisters. Though here's the challenge when you're out and about and you see someone from the local church here. And they come up to you. I had this happen to me in Walmart the other day. Uh, Miss Connie, one of your kids, come running up to me and hugged me in Walmart. And I looked and I went, Oh man, I know her. Her name wouldn't come to my mind. And then she says this. And how embarrassing was this for her pastor? This is my favorite pastor. And I thought, oh, good night. Oh little girl. (laughs) You are so cute. Mom, this is my pastor. Oh, how are you doing, ma'am? And guess what's not in my head yet? I'm still trying to think of this little girl's name. By the way, I was so embarrassed, I didn't even say, what is your name? <laughs> and and I, I was trying so hard, but here's the thing. We should never be a stranger to those people, should we? Should never be a stranger. She, I wasn't a stranger to her, but man, I felt like a stranger, you know? And the thing of it is, it pricked my heart, and I thought, good night, why don't I know this girl's name? And I I still, I mean, I can't, I, I can tell you what she looks like. I can't think of her name. And I've seen her more than once, and she's done it to me here as well. And so, as I share this with you, we have to realize how important this is that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, when we act in that manner, it can create chaos. It can create chaos in the local church. People in the community hear you talk and say things against your local church or people that go to your church. Oh my. Not wise. Not wise to say things outside of here that run down the house of God. Run down the people who attend here. Run down the things that are happening here. We ought to build one another up. Let me let me give you a couple of verses. You can write these down and just consider this in your heart. When we think about our church body, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 29 and 30, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now listen. It says, in that passage, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Edifying is lifting up. It's building up. If it's not worth building up, don't say it. My mom used to say this all the time. She said, well... I said, Mom, they said something about you. She said, Well, if they're talking about me, they're leaving somebody else alone. <laughs> it used to make me laugh. I think about it now, but the thing of it is, is, boy, it shouldn't be that way, should it? We shouldn't be talking about each other in a way that brings forth that corrupt communication. And it says this. Now, think about it. It, it, it is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And you say, well, they felt graced by my presence. I was there, and I told them what somebody else was doing, and boy, they felt very thankful that I told them. And that's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about encouraging one another. Do you know sometimes there are people who walk in this life, they're so busy finding the fault of others, they can't see the good in anybody. And the reality is is we need to see the good in people. We need to see what they are capable of doing. And and, and we need to lift them up. When I was in Colonial Beach, we had this guy that used to come to church. His name, everybody in the community called him Pee Wee. And I called him by his first name. I found out what his name was. I started referring to him as Lawrence. And Lawrence had some mental issues. And Lawrence rode around on a three-wheel trike, a bicycle. He'd pedal it all over town. And everywhere Lawrence went, Lawrence, people would give him stuff and, and, and do things for him. But they were unkind to him at times. And I could see it happening at times. And he would just, uh, you know, he didn't really have a place. And the building had flooded. And we were down there, and we were working. And Morgan uh, was one of the guys helping me in, in the church. And we're trying to rip out the drywall and do all this stuff. And Lawrence showed up. And Lawrence came in, and he said, can I help you? And he couldn't speak full sentences like you and I can. He didn't have a thought process like that. But Lawrence came in, and every day, folks, I'm not joking, every day that we were in that church ripping that drywall out and tearing that place apart to rebuild it, Lawrence showed up for work. <laughs> and I was in winter wintertime, and I found out that he was living in a little trailer behind the house of his sister. She wouldn't let him in the house and I, I don't know what the reasons were for, but I went over and he told me it was really, really cold. He needed some gloves. He needed some gloves. I had these old skiing gloves because I only went skiing twice and it did not work out for me either time. So I don't want to go into that story. But but I had these ski gloves and I took them over and, and Lawrence wasn't there. I couldn't see him, and I knocked on his door, and he didn't answer, and, and, and the light was on, and the door was kind of <coughs> ajar. So I just kind of opened it. I laid the gloves up on the counter, just right inside the door, and Lawrence came over to the church. And he knocked on the door. He came to my office, <laughs> and Lawrence came in. He goes, do you like oranges? And I said, yeah, I like oranges, And sure enough. He took a whole bag of oranges and set them on my desk. Where he got them? I mean, he could have got them from the dumpster. I mean, I don't know, but I know he wanted to do something for me. He said, you brought me gloves. I saw you. And I want to tell you something. I bonded with that man. That man would sit in our church services, and when I would preach sometimes, he'd go, "Ah!" and people would say, you can't do that. They'd get upset with him. One time I was preaching, he just stood up and walked over to the window, went over there looking out the window. And we had to bring him under control. You know, come on over. And I taught the fellas. I said, listen, don't be unkind to him. Don't be unkind to him. God brought him to us. God brought him to us. You be kind to him. Don't you get angry at him. Yeah, he's got some problems, but... Let me tell you something. He's showing up for church, amen? And he's coming over in here, and he's working. (laughs) And he's doing things that, that need to be done around this church. And I said, listen, do not be unkind to that man. Don't be unkind to him. Don't do that. And so I challenge you with this. When we come into the house of God, don't look at somebody and look down your nose at them. Look at how you might lift them up. Look at what you might do for them and not talk about them. Now, let me challenge you with this. Do that with everyone else in the church. We're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We ought to look at how we can elevate and lift one another up. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, be not deceived, evil communications, corrupt, good manners. When you get into the process of talking people down or get into the process of speaking things in a, in a fashion like that, it leads to corruption. Evil communication corrupts good manners. It causes you to do things you ought not be doing. Now, we're all here to serve God and to serve one another. And By doing this biblically and in a biblical manner, we serve our community well. When our community can look at us and see us as a people, and they listen and they know about us. By the way, you folks are known by name in this church. How many of you understand that? When I go out, I can mention your names in this community, and they know who you are. They've known some of you since you were children yourselves, and they know who you are. And when I go knock on doors and I'm trying to win people to Christ, or I'm trying to encourage folks to come to church, listen, they need to see a good spirit out of the folks that are here, a very positive spirit, one that is looking to win the loss to Christ. Now, This is supposed to be taught and to be encouraged and to teach others to do the same. And so in our spirit toward others, make sure we have wholesome words to edify one another. And so don't go out in the community talking down other people inside your church. That's a bad habit to get into. In fact, we need to elevate and lift one another up. No matter what our position is in the local church, we're still on equal terms here. And we're all possessed with the same Holy Spirit if we're saved, and we got all saved by the same Jesus Christ, amen? And so we we have the same God, and and we're to treat one another in a manner that is well-pleasing unto the Lord. This is the idea, then, also of speaking the truth in love. Teach some wholesome words. Here's what he says in verses 3 and 4. He says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ into the doctrine, which is according to godliness, what is the phrase in verse 4? He is what? He's a proud man. Now, we can go from verse to verse to verse to look at what God has to say about pride. And the fact is, is whenever we behave in that manner, we're a prideful person, we're not a person that is submissive. We're not a person that is humble. We're a prideful person. The Lord tells all of us that no man should teach anyone in the house of God anything but wholesome words. A person who will not consent or give in to this truth of speaking healthy language that builds up rather than tears down, he says, here, let me tell you what the character, let me tell you what the character of this person is. God says when a man is busy tearing others down, Rather than building up, let me tell you who this person is. Let me tell you the character of this man. First of all, he's proud. And when we look to the scriptures, this is to be inflated with self-conceit. And by the way, that's very dangerous territory for any believer to be in that arena, not to be full of conceit. In James 4, 6, he said, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And then in the next verse, he said, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God and resist the devil. Do you know that submission to God is humble? That's humility, humbling ourselves before God. In fact, in verse 10, he said, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall do what for you? He'll lift you up. Sometimes we're busy lifting ourselves up and not lifting others up. We're busy with what we're capable of instead of, reaching out to someone else and saying, wow. Now, this is a spirit that is brought about, this, this resistance, this negative talk, that's brought about by evil thinking. And that doesn't minister grace unto the hearers. Let me give you this psalm. It's, it's hanging in my office. And uh, my wife and I, we pray about this continually. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Let me tell you something. Where most of negativity starts is inside. It starts in here. And we let that then come out of our mouth. But he says in this passage in Psalm, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, listen to this. And he says, be acceptable in thy sight. And I believe acceptable words in the sight of God, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. He's not looking for negativity He's looking for us to esteem others better than ourselves. He's looking for us to lift others up, not tear people down. So one of the things he said about this man's character, he said, hey, he's a proud guy. Not only that, here's what they do. They go about and they know nothing. (laughs) How many of you have had your children, (laughs) when you're raising them up and you're trying to explain something to them or tell them you want them to do something, and they say this phrase, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. There was times I wanted to just... (laughs) How many of you have felt that way? I know, I know, I know. No, you don't know because I haven't told you yet. <laughs> you know nothing. <laughs> and, and so the thing of it is is that there are those that he says knowing nothing. Do you know what that is? They're acquainted with emptiness and a lack of understanding. They're acquainted with emptiness and a lack of understanding. They don't know. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 and, and, on, and so forth, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifies. So, God said, when you think you know so much, all it does is build up your head. But do you know what edifies? Loving other people. Charity edifies, it lifts it up. And so, He told us in Ephesians that we ought to do that. We ought to edify other people. And if any man, now think about this, if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing. Yet, as he ought to know, He said, when a man thinks he does know something, he doesn't know anything. How many of you have had your children tell you, I know, I know, I know, I know. I had one of my children one time. I kept trying to tell them, listen, I'm going to put you on the riding mower and I want you to put the setting and they wouldn't listen to me. When I came home, they burned the lawn. They didn't mow it. (laughs) Are you with me? The the mower was all the way down. I'm thinking, good night, what'd you do? You didn't mow, you burned. (laughs) You understand what I'm talking about, right? But if you already know, and I say, well, okay, he knows, but who paid the penalty? I did, because I'm the one that had to go back out and put grass, eat, and water, and do all that stuff, right? <laughs> no. But the thing of it is, is that when they know, they know nothing sometimes. That's what he said. They lack understanding. They're not really listening. And so you have to train them and teach them. And he said, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. Do you know? Do you love the Lord? And do people know that you love God? Boy, if there's anything I want to be remembered for, is that I loved God. If there's anything I can be remembered for, is that I loved my family, I raised my children, and according to the word of God, I loved my wife, and I loved my heavenly father. And if people got saved as a result of that, praise God, and God's going to allow those souls to be in heaven one day. But if any man loved God, the same is known of him. So the other thing about this man's character, he's doting about questions and strifes of words. And whenever you look this up, this is hard to grasp that this is what this means, but a sick or diseased appetite for arguing and debating, a sick or diseased appetite just for arguing and debating. I was preaching down in Colonial Beach and had a young man come in, and he was from my church in Florida, which uh, they worked with Ruckman, and they call them Ruckmanites, and, and so I was preaching and Every time I would get done, I don't know why he kept coming back to our church. I kept trying to minister to him and talk to him, but he would debate over anything that I said uh, you know, if he didn't like it, he would come back and I need to talk to you in your office. So we go in my office and he would want to debate with me every service. And as I showed him something from the scriptures, he would get upset about the fact that I could demonstrate from the scriptures what I was talking about. And he wanted to argue. He wanted to debate. Well, that's just your view. That's just your point of view. That's just what you think. That's what. And I said, yes, but the Bible says it's of no private interpretation. We either are on the same page or we're not. And if we can look these words up and we can see what the Greek, means and we come to some conclusion by putting it into context where do you go from there but just a constant arguing a sick or diseased appetite for arguing and debating over or about words in first corinthians 3 3 the bible says for you yet carnal for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions are you not carnal and walk as men if you're going to argue about everything (laughs) what are we showing what are we demonstrating to the world around us It's not wholesome words. And he says in Philippians 2, 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, he said, whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal? And then he tells us in Philippians, he said, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But he says this, but in lowliness of mind, that's humility, let each esteem other better than themselves. Be willing to lift up other people So the results of this type of behavior and thinking and avoiding wholesome words, this leads to disastrous attitude a disastrous spirit. And God doesn't desire that for the local church. That leads to destruction for the speaker, for the listener. And in so doing, he says, envy, ill will, spitefulness and jealousy, strife and affinity for contention, enjoying it almost, railing, speaking evil, evil surmisings, hurtful speech that leads people to be suspicious of other people. God said, man, avoid all that stuff. <laughs> Why would you do that? Why would you have those conversations? Why would you lead people down that path? Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. All bad or wicked behavior, get rid of it. Get it out of your life. <laughs> Why would you do that? And he says, and be kind one to another. Listen to this, tender hearted. Forgiving one another for Christ's sake. It, listen, a, a, as, as, as He has forgiven you, we need to forgive others and we need to have that kind of an attitude and that kind of a spirit about us. Willing. But it takes two parties. There has to be a, a submission on both sides. And sometimes that submission means there has to be admission as well that there was wrong done. And that wrong needs to be reconciled. And that those things need to be fixed and that you can sit down and have an adult conversation and cover those things and be kind one to another. So we are given the challenge by Paul only to speak these wholesome words, words that edify and build up. And the challenge to us is just that. Are you abiding by the wholesome words that Scripture said we ought to speak to build up others rather than tear people down? And God says if you don't, then you're proud you know nothing. You're doting about questions and strifes of words. You're looking for problems. You're looking to create contention. And God says that's not the challenge that He wants in His local church. We're to avoid getting involved in any wickedness. Verse 5 said this He says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing the gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. So, withdrawal from ungodliness. The people who indulge in these types of conversations and press others to get involved, God defines them as corrupt, corrupt of mind. Their thinking is wrong. When you're corrupt of mind, that means you're not thinking straight, doesn't it? If your mind is corrupt, therefore you're not thinking clear. And so God says this type of person is that, and these are individuals who are involved in uh, what he calls perverse disputings. Now, when you look that up, it says this is... Now, think about this, that perverse disputings, that's a useless occupation. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) So if you're involved in perverse disputings, you're involved in a useless occupation. And so when you think about this, the Lord comments on how these individuals think. He says these are men of corrupt minds. When you look up corrupt minds, when you look that up, it has the idea of rotting and decay. Now, how many of you have put some stuff in the fridge at times, forgot it was in there, and you find it a few months later? Now, I know. I'm not, I'm not the only one. You can lie and say, well, that's never happened to me. I've gone in, and I thought, what color is that cheese? <laughs> right? I thought it was blue cheese and it was yellow American, right? And the thing of it is is that it looks like blue cheese now because you forgot it was in there. Uh, how many of you have, uh, and, and my dad always said this, if you've got a rotting tomato, don't put it near the other tomatoes. And I don't know why, I didn't really understand. It's going to make them all rot. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I know you don't put a rotting tomato by a tomato. And if my dad showed up at my house and saw a rotting tomato by tomatoes, I think he'd still spank me. And the thing of it is, is that the idea behind this is, is these perverse disputings, these men of corrupt minds, this is a rotting and decaying thought and intellect. It's rotting. It stinks. How many of you walk out and say, ma'am, do you smell that dead possum on the road? Woo! Man, all right. That's a good one. Now, the one thing I don't mind, and this is going to make you either go ooh to pastor or think, wow, that's crazy. i never heard anybody say that. When skunks get killed on the road, it smells like fresh brewed coffee to me. I have no idea why. So when the rest of the family's going, oh, do you smell that skunk? I'm going, man, that smells like fresh brewed coffee to me. (laughs) And you know how when you open up a can and you smell it? That's what it smells like to me. I have no idea why, I don't know. There's something in my smeller. (laughs) Miss Laura says, I hate coffee. We'll be in there, everybody's making coffee in the morning and she's sitting there going, it must smell like a skunk to her, I don't know. (laughs) But the thing of it is, is that, you know, you have this idea of rotting and decaying. And it's decaying of thoughts. It's destructive in their thinking and in their understanding. This then is referred to as being destitute or deprived of truth. Truth's not in them. they, they, They are not of the truth. They're... They're misunderstanding God's word and his truth. Their their thinking is such, is that what they possess is what's valuable and the knowledge they possess, that's what godliness is. So what they possess in their thinking is what they think is godliness. And godliness is not just what we think, it's how we behave, who we are, what we do, our actions, our attitude, our heart. And when you look at this, Paul sends out a loud warning Avoid these types of individuals, for they are in it for themselves that what others think about them is what's most important. Turn with me to James, if you will. Let me, let me go show you something. Of course, James is writing this, but it's, it lends itself to what Paul's talking about. These men here thought that by their gain, their status, their monetary gain or what they possessed was important. Look at James chapter 5 with me, if you will. He says in verse 1, "'Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire.' Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord Seboeth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughtering. And if you go over, you look at this, and he says in verse 13 of chapter 4, he said, go to now you, uh, that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. And here's what he's telling us. He said, you know what? You're thinking that gain is godliness, and it's not. You're thinking tomorrow is always going to be there, and it's not. So when's the time to change? Now. Today's the day. Today's the day where you say in your heart, you know what? I've gone down that path a couple times. I'm not going down that path again. I'm not going to be involved in conversations that are not godly. I'm not going to involve myself in things that are going to tear others down. I want to be involved in things that build people up. I want to be involved in those things that bring forth godliness, not ungodliness. I want to withdraw myself from the ungodliness. In Jude one fifteen and 16 there, it says this. And, of course, there's only one chapter there. He said... To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust and their mouths speak great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. And they think because they have an ability that they take advantage of other people. And listen, we need not do that. How many of you may have someone that you could reach out to that's just not like you. That you could really do something to help them. They don't act like you. They don't dress like you. They don't speak like you. We had a young girl. I don't want to name her name. My kids knew her well. This little girl came to our church when we were at Westmoreland. Man, she wasn't like us. But man, she wanted to be around my family, (laughs) wanted to be around my kids. And this girl would lie at the drop of a hat in a heartbeat. Constantly lie. She'd lie about everything. If she said it was raining out, Pastor Warnock, I'd go out and look (laughs) just to see if she was telling the truth. I mean, this girl lied all the time. She spoke about things. And when my family was together and we would talk uh, as a family, I'd peck my wife on the cheek and my family would be around or we would be doing family games. She'd say, you guys are weird. You're just weird people. People don't do this. And she was not like us. But, man, I wanted her to get saved. (laughs) And she started getting involved in the teen group, and the boys were there, and and she would want to be around my boys at times, and I was being conscious (laughs) of that. Are you with me? And I'm thinking, I want to protect my boys at the same time, and I want to be conscientious of what she's doing, what she's saying to them, because she's just not like us. And God used my family, used those boys, used my daughters, and that girl got saved. (laughs) And today she's saved. (laughs) And she began to change. I remember when she came to church, and I mean, when she would dress how she would just oh my goodness, she'd walk in and you'd be like, oh good, (laughs) I couldn't even look at her sometimes. Because there was no modesty at all. None. And all of a sudden, she came to church one morning, she had her dress on. She began to change. She began to look different. And she began to act different. But do you know what that was? God did that. God changed that person's heart. And do you know what? Our testimony counts. How we behave outside of this place matters to God. The things that we do. Don't let your testimony be a cause for people to speak out against your pastor, your church, the church membership the testimony of the church. Don't be at fault for telling people in the community not to come there, but that they want to come there because that's where the truth is being preached. (laughs) And you want to challenge them to come and hear the truth. Now, there are folks, now listen to me. If Jesus Christ had 12 disciples and one of them was the devil, (laughs) there are times in our local churches where people come in And they have the form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. The Bible says, from such, turn away. They can convince you that they're doing right, but they're just not walking with God. And how you'll start to recognize it if you go back to that character of those people, they begin to behave like that a lot. And so the Bible says having a form of godliness in 2 Timothy uh, uh, 3-5, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. Diverse disputings, he said, turn away from that. And anyone that's involved in that, in that way of thinking, in that type of action, turn away from it. Don't go toward it, go away from it. And here it is. Abide by the wholesome words of the Scriptures and your spirit toward others. So I believe to remain in the unity of the faith, we're giving these conditions, and we are to hold one another accountable for the words that come out of our mouths. We're to hold one another accountable. We're a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ought to treat one another that way. And when we have guests in our home, when they show up to the house of God, we ought to do everything we can to make that guest welcome. You say, Pastor, they've got purple hair and earrings and wearing leather, and they've got, you know, I mean, if you just saw them, invite them in, let them hear the word of God, and let God have an effect upon their heart. We need not be the judge. We need to be a people that are in the unity of the faith, winning the lost to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,